Good morning, church. You're looking good. You feeling good? Yes, amazing. I'm feeling good. Oh, I'm looking good. Thanks. Thanks. It's going to be a great day, I believe. The title of my sermon is Was, Is, Not Yet. If you did not receive handouts when you came in, please just lift your hand and wave. Our worship host will get them to you. Um, we have a lot of notes today. Everyone got one? Everyone got a handout. Is that, are you awake? It's going to be a long day, church. Okay, we, need, we got a couple of people that need a handout. Um, oh, good, good. Thank you, Jamie. Well, listen, in the words of Jerry Reed from 1977, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. We're going to do what they say can't be done. All right. So, Father, we come before you today. I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word. I thank you for uh, just our time together. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, that you would stir in our hearts and let truth come alive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Has anyone been motivated lately to learn something new? Um, a couple of us have. Good, Miss Juliet's in the house. Excited to see Miss Juliet. I won't, I won't uh, ask her age, but even at your young age, you're motivated to learn something new, right, Miss Juliet? Uh, we're glad to have you and glad that you are still learning. Um, when I learn something new, I like to go to multiple sources. I'll go to friends that know the subject. I'll go to YouTube videos. I'll go to books, um, social media, if there are videos or comments or threads or groups. Maybe you've done the same thing. Like, uh, for example, maybe some of you, given our current climate, are trying to learn how to garden. Anyone think maybe that's a good idea? Yeah, some of you might be learning how to garden. Um, I have a wife for that. <laughs> she, she is a gardener. I, I probably should learn as well, but I'm, she's the brains, I'm, I'm the muscle. Um, but I don't need to know just yet how to garden. How many are trying to learn how to preserve or can so that your food lasts? Anyone? No one. No one. Are you watching the news? <laughs> Okay, just, just checking. Been to H-E-B lately? Try to get some strawberries? All right, well, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. Um, anyone trying to learn how to make baby formula? <laughs> Imagine. Why would we ever need to make our own baby formula? I don't know. Um, anyone learning how to beat inflation? That's a good idea. How to make your money stretch? Um, yeah. I got a haircut yesterday, and normal, normally I pay, I'm really cheap. I'm, cheap's not a good word. What am I? Frugal or wise. I mean, it's got to happen every two weeks, so I don't want to spend a lot, you know what I mean? Um, but I normally spend about $17 with my military discount. Anyway, they went up $2 on my haircut. Now, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but that's a 12% increase. I didn't get a 12% raise. Do you know what I mean? So that's got to come from somewhere. 
So I need to learn how to make our money stretch. I thought about letting you guys know that tithe was going to in increase with inflation. And instead of taking the 10% tithe, we're going to take the 15th this morning. No, I'm, just, I'm really just kidding. That was my wife's joke. She was proud of it. Um, if she was doing offering, she was going to say that this morning. But I was thankful she wasn't on offering. <clears throat> But if you can relate, how many can at least relate to the notion of you don't just learn from one source, you go to multiple sources, you pull information, you funnel it down, and then it kind of makes sense to you. If you can relate to that notion, then you're already a step ahead in understanding systematic theology. Okay, Systematic theology is a way that we find God's perspective on an issue, on any given subject. There are systematic theologians that will go through all 66 books of the Bible and they'll look at themes and topics to see what God's overall perspective is, okay? So they don't just look in one book of the Bible, they look in all 66 books to find maybe a picture or a mosaic painting of what God thinks about a certain subject. Does that make sense to you? Um, they spend their time pouring over that. Whereas uh, maybe a biblical, there, there are four types of theology, not to bore you too much, but um, in biblical theology, we will just go verse by verse by verse. A lot of my preaching is exegetical preaching. I'll read a block of text and then we'll pull out all the good stuff from that block of text, right? Um, systematic theology doesn't look at the block of text exegetically Instead, it finds everywhere in Scripture where it talks about this topic, all right? Um, systematic theology allows us to organize our beliefs into a coherent system. So I just want to introduce you, at least, to the topic of systematic theology to know that is a way that you can study Scripture. I, I know, I know, uh, some of you are thinking this introduction has introduction has gotten off to a very slow start. <laughs> You're like, this is a bit too heady for me. Uh, it's, it's too teachery, and I'm not digging it. Where's the fun? Well, in a room this size, in any room actually, um, there, are, there are thirds. So a third of you are thinkers. A third of you want a sermon that you just want to think, right? You're going to really like today's sermon. You're a deep thinker. I'm going to take you deep for a moment, and then I'll let you come back up for some air. Uh, another third of you are feelers. You're like, I don't want to think in the sermon. I think all week long. I just want to feel the presence of God, right? Um, <clears throat> that's good. You're here. Uh, we got thinkers. We've got feelers. Then we've got doers. A third of you are just waiting for the checklist, so you know what to do after today's sermon, all right? You don't care about the frills and feeling anything. You don't want to think too much. You want me to just tell you what to go and do so you can be a better Christian. We've got thinkers, we've got uh, doers, and we've got feelers in the room, all right? I hope to reach all of you in the next 30 minutes. That's my goal. But can we just start by thinking? Is that all right? Can we just think? Great. For the three thinkers in the room, <laughs> this may not be a breakthrough sermon, a shouting breakthrough sermon, which some of us need this morning, but what this is is a, a stay planted and flourish sermon. That's good. 
All right. I want to talk to you in the topic of the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation. Now, systematic theology has a lot to say about salvation. And it's something that I can't cover in a 30-minute sermon. In fact, it would realistically take me approximately 27, 28 Sundays to give you a good, deep understanding of salvation. Now, this is important, and I'll get to why it's important, but many of us, we, we think, I've been saved, and that's all I need to know, but there's just so much more. And I'm going to take you down a little bit into this world of salvation today, just so you can understand what's going on on the inside of you, and you can communicate that to other people. Um, but let's talk about different areas. And I didn't list them all, by the way, in your notes. I didn't list all of them, but here's just a few we can have some fun with. These are areas of systematic, systematic theology. The first one is theology. What do you think that is the study of? God. Theos is Greek for God. Theology is the study of God. So a systematic theologian, <clears throat> there's not just a book in the Bible that is a book about God. God is woven all throughout the 66 books. So a, a systematic theolo theologian that's studying theology will look for the study of God. The next one is a little bit uh, difficult, Christology. Christology. What do you think that's the study of? Come on, don't be shy. It's not a trick question. Christ. Yes, the study of Jesus Christ. The next one, pneumatology. Numbers. Oh, not numbers. No. Uh, P, look, at, look at the your notes. What does P-N-E-U-M-A remind you of? Isn't that pneumonia? Air, breathing, wind. Holy Spirit. It's the study of the Holy Spirit. There's not a book in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all through the Bible. Uh, we find him in the book of Genesis when the Spirit hovered over the deep waters. Okay, so we find a lot about the Holy Spirit all throughout 66 books. <clears throat> the next one is anthropology, and that's the study of man. Anthros is Greek for man, so anthropology is the study of man. Uh, hamartiology any guesses on what that might be? Singing songs. No. <laughs> the study of sin. The study of... Close. There are a lot of songs filled with sin. Hamartiology uh, is the study of sin. Um, hmm. Soteriology. Soteriology is the next one. Sot no. The study of salvation. There is a whole study of this topic, salvation. It goes so much deeper than just the, the initial prayer, the initial leaning into moment. Martia is sin. Uh, the study of sin is hamartiology, soteriology, the study of salvation. The next one is really hard, angelology. All right. The study of angels. Some of you had already written down 90 degree angles. No. No. Ecclesiology in systematic theology is the study of the church. It's actually a, a topic 
of discovery, the church is in all 66 books of the Bible. Ecclesia is Greek for church. And then one of my favorite, the last one, one of my favorite topics, um, eschatos, eschatology. What is that? The study of the, the, the end of the world. Eschatology is more appropriately the study of last things. The last things, the last days, or the end of the world makes sense. You may think, oh, that's the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation has a lot to say about the end of the world, but there are a lot of eschatological statements made throughout the Bible. In fact, we see the first one uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God said that there would be one who crushed the head of the serpent. That was a last thing statement all the way in Genesis. Do you see how we can pull these themes and these topics all throughout Scripture? Um, I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. I probably won't say that word again, soteriology. I just wanted you to know that it existed. You're not a better Christian because you know those words, but how many feel smarter already? You already feel smarter. Yeah. All right. Good. You're a thinker. Um, But I do want to talk about the doctrine of salvation, and obviously it's bigger than one message, but it's super important, because if you want to go to heaven, you kind of need to understand salvation, right? It's kind of a big deal. Anyone want to go to heaven in the room? A a few of us, okay? Good. We need to understand salvation, Um, but not just the end of the world and go to heaven or when we die or when the rapture happens. But also, we need to understand salvation because how many here want to experience on planet Earth a little bit of heaven now? Yes, please. Um, We need to understand how salvation works and what qualifies you and I to be sons and daughters. What moves us from the line of Adam to the line of Jesus. What moves us from identity in Adam to identity in Christ. Now, The doctrine of salvation changes the game. And so why is it important that I'm talking to you about salvation? I asked the Lord this myself. God, why do you want me to teach this subject? They're going to think it's boring. And I wrestle with God all week on this is just going to bore them. And then I had three people this morning come up before church saying, I'm so excited about what you're preaching. I don't even know what it is. I'm just so excited. And I thought, oh, dear Jesus, do a work, Lord, do a work. I've been wrestling with it. But you know why salvation is important? Because you and I live in a really unpredictable and broken world right now. Quite honestly, we don't know what our retirement is going to look like two years from now. We don't know what our store shelves are going to look like one month from now. We don't know what this new (coughs) monkey thing is. Going on, you've seen the monkey pox. If you haven't heard, well, yeah, it's it's true. Like, there's just so much uncertainty, but in all of this, there's something that you and I can hold on to and not be shaken. It's bad enough living in a ridiculous, crazy, unpredictable world that we're living in right now. But then to add on top of that, some of these doubts that you're having, am I really saved? If when it's my time, am I 
Am I really going to go to heaven? That's just too much pressure. That's too much weight to carry. And I don't want the people in my church to have to wonder about their salvation. I want that to be sure. I want that to be solid. I want you to leave today not knowing what's happening out there, but knowing what's already happened in here. 100% sure that no matter what comes tomorrow, no matter what happens tomorrow, you know where you're headed. Can I get an amen? Amen. Usually when we talk about salvation, uh, we start by talking about humanity and sin, hamartiology. Uh, We see that pattern in Scripture. I mean, the reality is, if I want to win you over to Christ, the first thing I have to do is help you understand your humanity, and that it's broken, and that you're a son of Adam, you're a daughter of Adam, that, that there is sin that is wrecking your life, right? We see this in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is anthropology. It's whenever humans are being created. Genesis 3 is when sin entered the world. That's martiology. Um, primarily, it's martiology, right? It's not until Genesis 4 that we see soteriology, which is the study of salvation. So the first three chapters of the Bible, it's about man, then it's about sin, then the whole rest of the Bible is telling us how God intends to get back his people, to love you well, and to rescue from the pit, right? The entire thing is about salvation. This is how Paul structures Romans as well, Romans chapter 1. If you look at Romans verses 18 on to about chapter 3, um, he's talking about sin. There's no talk about Jesus. There's no talk about the love of God. There's nothing about the grace. He's just talking about how everyone has failed. The Jews have failed. The Gentiles have failed. The church world has failed. The world has failed. It's like all doom and gloom because he wants to convince you that you're a lost man before he can introduce you in chapter 4 that you can be a found man through Christ. Salvation comes on the heels of understanding sin. But I'm not talking about sin today. I'm going to make the assumption that you understand you have a need for a Savior. All right? And I want to talk about salvation. Is the correct idea of salvation important? Is it important for me to actually understand salvation? Listen. Some of us, when we said yes to Jesus... We stepped into an emotional moment. We felt something. Our skin tingled. We had goosebumps, but we don't really know what happened. It's time for us to get caught up, get up to speed, and to know what happened in that moment when you said yes to Jesus. It's, it's kind of a big deal to understand salvation. Because based on what you believe about salvation, that will determine where you spend eternity. It's not a God knows my heart issue. Listen, there are a lot of things God knows your heart, all right? You get someone the wrong gift for Christmas, now God knew your heart, right? You say the wrong words to someone, it comes out wrong, it's okay, God knows your heart. But when we're talking about making the decision of eternity, it's not a God knows your heart issue, God has clearly stated what you and I must do to be saved. And so it's important. Do do I have anybody just like, just tell me, Pastor. I just want to do it right now. Uh, I just want to get saved. I want to make sure that it's official. It's really important that we 
know what salvation is. And in Galatians 1, 8 through 10, we see the importance because the Apostle Paul says, even if we are an angel from heaven, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one you preached, we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. If anyone comes to you and tries to preach you a gospel that doesn't line up with the word of God, let him be accursed. And that word actually meant, means condemned to hell. Not slapped. <laughs> condemned to hell. If I preach you a gospel that goes against the gospel of Jesus Christ, let me be accursed, condemned to hell for eternity. This is a big deal. I don't know if you realize it's a big deal. This is why we just don't flippantly tell people, oh, just just love the Lord and hand the homeless a bottle of water and you're saved. That's wrong. You're telling someone how to be saved wrong. You will be accursed, condemned to hell forever. It's a big deal. Am I sharing the weight of this this morning? Paul says, even if an angel comes to you, if you see an angel at 3 a.m. standing next to your bed and they try to convince you of something, let that angel be accursed if it goes against the gospel of Jesus Christ found in Scripture. And it's ironic because there are actually major religions that got their false religions from angels. <laughs> Mormonism claims that Joseph Smith got all of his revelation from an angel named Moroni. Did the, did the church not read that even if an angel gives a gospel against this gospel, let them be accursed? Islam came to the world through Gabriel's manifestation to Muhammad. I don't believe it's Gabriel. I think it was a fallen angel. And Muhammad believed it to be Gabriel because Gabriel would not have given a false gospel. But I find it interesting that in the text... We are warned to take salvation seriously. Take the gospel seriously. You better make sure before you start listening to any old preacher, and there are a lot of great preachers on YouTube, but there are a lot of flakes. There are a lot of people trying to get you to run after something God doesn't have for you. And you need to be careful and guard the gates of your heart because your salvation is important. We can disagree on the rapture. We can disagree on the millennial kingdom. We can disagree on the tithe moving up to 15%. We can disagree on healing. We can disagree on prophecy. We can disagree on tongues. But we cannot disagree on the gospel of Jesus Christ and both end up in the same place. Listen, it is impossible for you and I to disagree that Jesus is the Son of God who died. You want to know where the gospel is? It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Jesus is the Son of God who took on your sin. He was murdered brutally, chose to die, buried in a grave, and rose again. Jesus is without sin, fully God, fully human. 
And he's coming back again for his church. It is impossible to deny any one of these elements and claim to be walking out the true gospel. What is the meaning of being saved? Um, Saved in scripture. Uh, There's a word called sozo. S-O-Z-O. That's the verb form of saved. The noun form. The noun form is salvation. So we've got saved, savior, salvation. All of these words we find in scripture. Um, You'll discover as a systematic theologian would. That when you find the word saved in all 66 books. There is a very broad meaning. The word save doesn't always mean save like we think it means save, right? Which is okay because we understand that in the English language. If I say, save me a piece of cake, that doesn't mean we're taking cake to heaven, right? That means set aside a piece of cake. If our, uh, I don't know, one of my kids runs into a rushing creek, and I say, save Michaela. That, that doesn't mean I'm setting her aside for later to have a conversation like it would a cake. That means rescue her from harm's way. Do you see that you can have the same word and it means several different things. There are non-theological statements of save in Scripture. And oftentimes, confusion sets in when we don't know the difference between non-theological save and theological save. The theological save is this notion of trusting in Christ that I go to heaven forever. All right? That makes sense to us. That's the theological version of save. I want to read to you a few non-theological versions of save so you know the difference. I promise you, if you stay with me, you're going to be so smart when this is done. All right? In Matthew chapter 9, verses 21 through 22, it says, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, for your faith has made you well. That made you well is sozo. Sozo, safe. Touching the hem of his garment made her safe. Did that mean she was going to heaven? No. What did it save her from? Infirmity, good, okay. Luke eight thirty six says, And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed or sozoed. He had been sozoed. Did that mean the demon-possessed man went to heaven? No, what did it mean? It saved him from what? From a demon, that's right. Um, Hebrews eleven seven By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark, For the saving of his household. Did that mean that because Noah built an ark, his family went to heaven? No. They weren't saved like that. They were saved from the floodwaters. Okay? And then one that we often get misconstrued in denominations is Matthew 24, 13. It says, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Anyone ever heard that verse before? Whoever endures to the end will be saved. Now, some religions will tell you or denominations will tell you, if you keep up with the good works till you die, endure to the end, then you'll be saved. 
Do you see? They're making something that's non-theological, making it theological. As if I'm good enough to the end, or if I happen to outrun the Antichrist till the end, then I'm going to heaven, right? If we look at this in context, Matthew 24, 13, you know, we, we won't get taken by people who are putting undue pressure on us. People coming up to you saying, are you producing fruit? Are, are you walking out the good works to the end? Are you staying strong? You know, just this so much pressure for you and I to perform to be good sons and daughters, you know? Endure to the end. You better keep going with those good works because the Bible says endure to the end so you can be saved. And then every little mistake that you make, you feel like you just lost your salvation because you didn't endure to the end. But context here is the tribulation period. The book of Matthew is speaking to Jews. Quite literally, in the Olivet Discourse, chapter 24, Jesus is talking to the Jews who are going to be in Judea, and they're going to run to the mountains. He's not asking us at the end of time to all get on a plane and go to Judea so we can find the closest mountain. He's talking to the, the Jews during the tribulation period, and they're being pursued by the Antichrist. And Jesus is saying, just endure to the end, then you're going to be saved. Not you're going to heaven, you're going to be saved from the wrath of the Antichrist. God is going to rescue you, all right? Now, most of the time in Scripture, when we talk about saved, it's what you and I understand to be saved. Trusting in Christ so that we won't go to hell, right? We can go to heaven forever. Matthew one twenty one says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. That's the theological save. Romans 5, 9 through 10. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we, were, we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. For the son of man came to save, seek and save what is lost. That's Luke 19.10. All right, so there are many verses in Scripture about the theological save. God is one day going to save you from all of your sin, and you're going to spend eternity in heaven. Are you with me? Okay. So when we're learning about salvation, reading about salvation, to understand what it means to be saved, we have to understand that there are three phases of salvation. We'll call it three time zones. Three time zones of salvation. All right, in your notes, I think I left a few blanks so you can follow along. And I'll put the, I'll put the diagram on the screen so hopefully you can read it. The past tense. How many of you have been saved? At one point in your life, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You believed Jesus died on the cross for you and you said yes to Jesus. And in a moment, you were saved. How many? Just wave at me if you're not raising your hand. It's okay. There'll be a time later you can raise your hand and, and get saved if you want to get saved or maybe you're just listening today. Who knows? You were saved. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, that just took an instant. That is the past tense saved. In that moment when you said yes to Jesus, you were instantly saved. That's called justification, by the way. Justification happens in 
a moment. In a moment. When you get saved and you become justified, it doesn't mean that it removes sin from you. It means it removes guilt from you. Did you catch that? It doesn't remove sin. It removes guilt. And that's freeing. Because no matter what you've done, no matter who you've hurt, no matter who you've murdered, slandered, gossiped about, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are free from guilt in the courts of heaven. You may have to face something here. I don't know. But in the courts of heaven, you are instantly free. What are we saved from? Let's look at that one more time. We are saved from sin's penalty. In that moment, you can be guaranteed that you will not see death because of sin. Can I get a good amen? That's good news today. When you said yes to Jesus in that moment, you're guaranteed not to go to hell because of the penalty of sin. But we also know that there's another phase of salvation. The Bible talks about being saved every day. Being, and that doesn't mean I go back to the altar and ask forgiveness all over again. That's sanctification. The second column in our, our grid, we'll throw it back up on the screen. Sanctification. Every single day you and I are being saved. Present tense. It's not saving us from the penalty of sin. It's saving us from the power of sin. The control that sin has on our life. This is why we do renewal at the Exchange Church. It's not, it's not to somehow get you more saved. It's to get you free from the power of sin in your life. Sanctification happens daily. I don't become sinless. I just sin less. And then there's a future salvation. And that's called glorification. The third column, glorification, is in the future. That saves us from sin's presence. You know, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you and I die, or when the rapture happens, whichever comes first... In an instant, we are going to be free from the presence of sin. We will have no desire to sin. We won't be tempted to sin. It's going to be instantaneous. Now, the, the cool thing is this. Justification and glorification, there's just one requirement. One requirement. The only thing God requires of the lost person to become justified is to believe in him. Believe on Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died to cover the sins of the world, that he went into the grave, that he came out of the grave, and that he's coming again. Just believe. That's all you have to do to earn justification. It really is that simple. Jesus doesn't need your help to justify you. Jesus also doesn't need your help to glorify you. The only requirement for you to enter into glorification is for you to die. That's it. All you got to do is just die. I'm not suggesting that any of you do stupid stuff. Uh, jump off tall buildings without a parachute because you think glorification is around the corner. Like, but it really takes no effort 
for you to move from here to there. You just die, and in an instant, you're going to be glorified. The interesting one that I would like us to wrestle with this week is the middle one, sanctification. The salvation process that happens each and every day. We don't want to get stuck on what happened a long time ago where you just said yes to Jesus and you're, you're stuck in the justification. You know what happens when we get stuck? We enter into justification, which is beautiful and wonderful and it's holy. But if we stay there and we're stuck there, then we begin to justify all of our behaviors and all of our thoughts and all of our reasoning. God is calling us beyond the stage of justification into a stage of sanctification and eventually into the stage of glorification. That's how I can be saved and I'm being saved and I will be saved all at the same time. It's three phases. And and we get mentally messed up when we don't know the distinction between the two. And when I make a mistake today, I don't need to go mess with justification. I don't need to try to convince myself that I was never justified. Are you with me? I'm saved. And I know that I am. I I almost went Pentecostal, but I'm not. I'm not doing it today. I don't don't need to go open that door. That justification door is closed. I am a son, and I may make a mistake today, and I may do stupid things. And I don't suggest doing that because the... The call of God in my life is to grow and look more like Jesus Christ. But what really happens when I make a mistake isn't that I'm not a son. It's I'm in the process of sanctification. We see it in scripture. Philippians. I don't have time for that. We see in scripture, read Philippians 2 all the way through chapter 4. You see two ladies in the church who used to help Paul. They were laboring with Paul and now there's a dispute and they're fighting with one another. Uh, Euodia and Sintika, they're they're fighting, creating a stir. This is in Philippians uh, 2 through 4. It goes on to say that their names are written in the book of life. So there is no doubt that they're justified. They're going to heaven. But they are really failing at the sanctification part. They're being a very unhealthy daughter of God right now. Do you know? These two women are just going at it, creating drama and disagreement. Um, They're not stumbling in their justification. They're stumbling in their sanctification. And it would do us all well to know the difference. Because in seasons of so much uncertainty out there, to know that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven. And my goal is, is, is not to cut somebody off on 35, but even if I do. My goal is, is, is not to do something wrong or talk about somebody or make poor decisions, but even if I do, aren't you glad there's a God who isn't just waiting for you to make a mistake? And he gives us the ability to be sanctified and be fashioned in his image.
to, let me write, let me close with this. Did you fill in most of your blanks? You need the last four? Okay, I can give that to you. That's really healthy, actually. I, I'd like you to know that. That's why it's on the notes. Um, to grow in our salvation. You know, I, I mentioned there are two things that we add nothing to. We agree to walk in faith and then we die. But in between those two bookends, there's a, a whole lot of massaging going on with our Christian walk. To grow, you have to be aware of the commands and tap into the power of God to fulfill them. That's what sanctification looks like. Hebrews 10 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. I mean, how many of us blow that one off, right? The, the others, other commands, study to show yourself approved. How many of us blow that one off? Pray without ceasing. That's kind of hard. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's really hard. Don't gossip. That's hard. Some of you are like, I don't, I don't gossip. We don't call that gossip. That's just called conversation. <laughs> I mean, these are just to name a few of the command after command after command. And sometimes we try to meet these through human effort and we get burned out. It feels overwhelming. Someone said the Christian life is a difficult life. But it's not. It's an impossible life. All the commands that are listed in Scripture, all the things to look like Jesus that we have to wrestle with, it is actually quite impossible to do on your own. The Christian life wasn't meant to be lived aside from divine power. And that's what salvation looks like. That's how you are being saved day by day. God is pulling you to the word. He's highlighting the things that need to change, need to be grown. And through the power of him, you are empowered to live these out. And that's why we can't look at people that are just saved and unsaved. Oftentimes, I'll get in the habit of trying to classify, you know, for evangelism purposes. Saved, unsaved. Saved, unsaved. An evangelist will take someone like from an unbeliever category and try to get them to believe. So it's helpful to know when someone's an unbeliever. But it's more helpful for us to know that there are actually four types of people. And I'll list them. The first is unbelievers. And then the other category, believers, we need to break that down into three groups. But before I do that, I got to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human in a human way? All right, so here the apostle is, is telling us the three types of believers that there are. All right, you'll know who you are when I read them probably. Um, the first one is a spiritual believer. These are people who are growing in their faith. They're, they're 
you know, not about doing all the things, but they're asking the Lord to just mold them and to grow them and to challenge them. And, you know, they're having honest conversations with Holy Spirit and they're spending time in the word and they're spending time in their prayer closet. These are spiritual believers. Then we have infant believers. Infant believers are people who are new to the faith. And of course, we don't expect them to act like mature spiritual believers. They're new to the faith. They're just learning this. They're infant. And then the third that the Apostle Paul tells us about in 1 Corinthians is carnal believers. Carnal believers. Carnal believers are people that are still very hungry for the flesh side of them. It is through sanctification that we move from a carnal believer to a spiritual believer. How do you recognize if you're a carnal Christian or if you're married to a carnal Christian or if your kids are carnal Christians? Jealousy, strife, offense. Paul says they look like an ordinary man. But here's what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that carnal Christians are going to hell. You've been justified. Now it's time to grow. Will you stand with me? Now, if anyone asks you if you've ever taken a systematic theology course, you can say, well, actually I did. A Cliff Notes version. Salvation, salvation. I can't talk about salvation without giving you the opportunity to say yes one final time. If, if you've already said yes, you're justified, you've, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, there's no need to do it again. But maybe you're in the room or you're watching online and you're just asking yourself, maybe I, maybe I never really stepped into a moment, my own moment of salvation, and maybe this is the one for you. Will you just wave at me if it's you? If you're ready to say, yes to Jesus, ready to say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for me, that he rose again. All right, no one in the room? All right, just in case someone is watching online, I would love for you to go ahead and just lift up your hand with an emoji online. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, we would love to have someone pray with you online. But church, can we support the online congregation this morning, just go ahead and place your hand over your heart and repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner, but I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he came here for me. I believe he died on a cross to take away my sin, to give me grace, to let me walk in power. I believe that he rose again, and I believe he's coming back. I say yes, Lord, to your sonship, to your daughtership, as a child of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we just celebrate this morning? Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for being here today. Take what you received in here. Give it to someone out there. If you can make it Wednesday, 6.30 for Awaken, we'd love to see you. Otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday, 10.30 a.m. God bless you.